Welcome to our NRCC church family meeting, our community meeting. If you are a visitor, we have had two unusual weeks back to back. Last year, uh, last week, a dear friend in our community died, and so together we mourned his loss. This week, we've had our long advertised church family meeting, so you'll have to wait another week to find out what kind of things we do on a Sunday morning. <laughs> Today's here's what, here's what we're going to do. First, we're going to review together why NRCC exists. Second, we're going to talk about some to-dos that are out there before us. Third, we're going to talk about some things that all of us can do to help NRCC thrive. Now, you have a handout at your table. Please get one of those if you don't have it nearby, and make sure you put your name on it. You don't have to put your contact stuff on there unless you want to make a change. If we've already got your uh, information, you just have to write your name. Um, that handout is going to serve as roll because uh, there are several. We had quite a few people who came early today, so they were in the first lesson, but uh, um, a lot of people couldn't be here who called me because they knew it was a family meeting. So this is going to be roll, so when you turn it in, I will know who was here so that we can get to the people who aren't here today. So please make sure that you hand in your uh, response sheet at the end. All right, let me begin. If you already have a what? Roll. roll. <laughs> uh, no, this is roll as in it's school roll. Roll call roll. Yes, that's right. All right. Why NRCC exists? Is that what it says up there behind me? So we're on the right page? All right. Now, another way of phrasing that question would be why are people's part of a spiritual community. We seek out spiritual community because both spirituality and community are basic human needs. And when we put them together, they form a powerful aid to our souls. However, at this time in our nation's life, <clears throat> when people are asked, does church aid in the growth of your soul, more and more people are answering, no, it does not. Many people still wish it did. Uh, they wish the church would help us meet the fundamental yearnings of our hearts, of spirituality and community, but increasingly it does not. There's a longing that is found in human hearts for spiritual connectedness, to awaken to the inner voice, to awaken to the inner life, to grow in our lives, to be better to tomorrow than we are today, to be changed. There's also a big desire to have an elevated vision that we see something and we are connected to something that is bigger than our jobs and bigger than our houses and bigger than our worries and our stresses. And intuitively we know that we can find that yearning better together when we are with people on a similar quest. By being part of a spiritual community, we're strengthened. We share our quest, and it encourages us forward. We get picked up when we fall. We have our inner growth triggered by the interactions that we have with other people. And we have this intrinsic desire to be contributors as well. And so the very same encouragement that we receive, we want to be able to give. There's something inside of us that wants to give of ourselves and to let our gifts 
influence other people and to let the light inside of us shine so that it helps others. And these are deep primal longings inside of our humanity and these are the reasons that we seek out spiritual community. And church is to be a place where those deep longings are met. But in the West, for the last several generations, something has gone badly wrong. Large segments of the population are dissatisfied with and wounded by the institution of church. And while there's an upsurge in spiritual hunger, the teachings and the traditions and the practices of the church have not been meeting the longings of our souls. Well, that was the reality of my own life when I came to plant NRCC. I was also sharing in the disappointments and the longings and the yearnings of the soul. So I came to plant a church that I wanted to be a part of, a plant a church that I needed for my own soul. And I have found a community of people with whom to rethink my religion, with whom to re-examine spiritual community, to re-examine our traditions and our norms and our practices. And the beautiful thing that we have discovered as a community is that NRCC is not alone. Across our nation, a whole swath of people are rediscovering how to follow Jesus in a restored and in an authentic way, a way that helps them meet those deep human longings as well. So when we talk about why NRCC exists, we can point to a commitment to a series of things that we have discovered on the way in our journey. And I want to talk about those things. I want to talk about six of them, six values that we are committed to. So why we exist? First, we exist to work toward the value that inner wakefulness is more important than dogma or creed. Keeping up with the oughts and the shoulds that the church taught us This has become a whole lot less important to us than finding the inner life of God and finding the inner light of the the voice of God, the, the indwelling spirit of God. And so we've dropped a religion of performance. We've dropped a religion of guilt and shame and ought and should. Second, we've resisted authoritarian leadership. It isn't helpful at this stage on the spiritual journey for the preacher guy to tell you what to do and the preacher guy to tell you what to believe. Although I do tell my wife from time to time, more people should listen to me. (laughs) (laughs) On the journey, at some point, we get to the place where we can't look outside of ourselves to find the spiritual life. The preacher guy's job is to help us reference the ancient texts, help us reference ancient wisdom, help us understand the ancient principles and the ancient understanding of these practices, and he can help us know how to discern the light and life of God. But it really, that light of God, that life, It is inside you. And so each of us have learned that we must look within ourselves to the indwelling presence of God, the indwelling Holy Spirit of God within us. Third, we've realized how essential spiritual community is to help us discern God's Spirit within us. We've learned that we really do need one another. Without one another, we find ourselves blind. We we wander. We get lost. Actually, what we do is we wander over the same territory year after year after year, making the same errors, rehearsing the same truths that we thought were true that aren't true, and community helps us move out of that repetitive, eddy-like lifestyle. So in order to have this community that so helps us move forward, we've had to learn some things. 
We've learned not to be judgmental of one another. We've had to learn to hang in there with one another and to resolve conflicts. We've had to learn that uh, acceptance is much more valuable than setting up a long, uh, high standard of moral adherence. And also we learned that since spirituality is a developmental process, we have to be patient with one another along the way. Who we are today is not who we're going to be tomorrow. One of the biggest lessons that we've learned is that love offered today, no matter where we are, actually works us toward that preferred tomorrow. And also we've learned that we needed to honor one another's individuality, allow each other to think differently and still be us. We've had to be open-minded. We've had to disavow cookie-cutter conformity. Instead of us all thinking and acting in lockstep with one another, what links us together is a mutual desire to discern God and a mutual desire to grow in the spiritual life. So we've learned that spiritual community is essential. Fourth, we've tried to connect to a larger understanding of our faith. We've resisted sectarian smallness and separateness. I've talked to us about the merit of many different traditions and how we can gain from them and grow with them. And we've come to see them as our brothers and our sisters on the journey instead of them being the them to our us. I've also given us a historical perspective on how we came to practice our religion the way that we do and how we have come to the assumptions that we've come to and how we've come to tell our story the way that we tell it and other historical ways that the story has been told and that our religion has been practiced. And that historical perspective has led, has led us to an understanding. And that understanding has given us permission to adapt and to change and to still find the central essence of what it means to follow Jesus. And that has meant that we've been able to leave some traditional assumptions behind. Fifth, we recognize that God often works in the wilderness of people's lives. And we've allowed one another to be in some very hard and some very difficult places and we don't abandon one another while we're there, but neither do we try and sugarcoat life's crushing, painful difficulties. Sixth, we've focused on what each of us has to contribute to the earth, to become repairers of the earth, to walk through our days alert to the opportunities to share goodness and to share life and to share the love of God. This has been important to us to know that as followers of Jesus, it is to us to bless the earth and to, and to make things on earth as they are in heaven, I've said it that way, to better our part of the world. And as I said last week, I am very glad to be counted among you because this really is a great place and it's working. People are being changed. We are being transformed. We're finding light and life for our souls. Now, <clears throat> I've been the primary voice at NRCC for a long time, and my temperament isn't much given to drama. I'm pretty steady in the way that I talk about things, so we tend not to be a very dramatic place. But quietly, almost when we're not looking, we're being changed. Quietly, almost when we're not looking, there is transformation happening in our souls. And I watch you over the seasons of our time together being changed. 
We're part of a groundswell of people across the nation. Here on Ray Road, in our little part of this move of God, we're seeing ourselves, like so many in our nation, awaken from the illness that our Christian spirituality has fallen into. And we're finding that we're finding the life of God. So, to honor these six values, to live out these six values, to encourage one another in the experience of these six values, these are some of the reasons that NRCC exists. These are some of the reasons that together we are creating this spiritual community. So now I want to talk about where we're going in the season before us. Besides the continued focus on these six values, which really are just kind of embedded into our DNA, that is what we will do and how we will live. There are a couple specific things that I think we need to work on this year. I tend to think in terms of academic years, September to September, probably because I was in school so long and now I've had kids in school this long. The first thing that I think we need to work on this year is um, doing as well for all of us as we've done for many of us. Those six values, we have done very, very well, but we haven't done as well for all of us in those six values. Some of us find it difficult to fully participate in the things that are the strongest experience of NRCC. Now, a handful of people want to hang back, and that's always okay, but for others, we have not done a very good job of opening the door to invite people into community to invite people into spirituality, and to invite people into influence. Now, I'm pretty good at some things. I'm really good at some things, but I'm really bad at building an organization. My inabilities in that area have led us to be the unorganization. Now, I fool myself into thinking that I can do it because it really needs to be done, and so every once in a while I'll have a blustering flurry of, here I go, I'm going to try and do some organization stuff, and when I do, it always turns out very badly. (laughs) And so because we have become the unorganization, sometimes unwittingly, we have become an unwelcoming place. Anytime that 50 or more people gather together to be part of something, organizational abilities become important. And I'm quite weak in this area. But if we don't have systems in place that will help people find their way into the flow of life that we have experienced then what's going to happen is newcomers will always feel like they're out on the fringe. They will always feel like they cannot find their way into the life of the community. Sometimes even people who have been here for a lengthy period of time feel that they're on the outside looking in. And part of the reason for that is that we haven't defined very clearly for people how they can step in and be engaged and be involved in what we are a part of. Now, we're doing so much better than this, at this than we used to. But this year, we're going to continue a work that we began two years ago, fixing the problem of not, an organi- not enough organization to help people experience those six values, those six things that are so important to our experience of spiritual community. So that's one thing that we'll do this year. We'll work on being as good at this for all of us as we are at it for many of us. Now, a second thing is that we will work on is opening our hearts and doors to others. As I said, we are experiencing 
the light and life of God. And the way that we are reframing the spiritual journey, I hear from people all the time who will join in with us saying, this is a rare thing. This is a precious thing. This is a wonderful thing. And though we have this wonderful treasure, this wonderful light, in some ways we have hidden it under a bushel. We're back here on Ray Road, a street that nobody sees in Raleigh. We're having this wonderful experience, and we're keeping it a secret. (laughs) We're not the right spiritual community for everyone, but... Uh, You know, some people are very comfortable in the traditional church, and some people are very comfortable having no desire for any kind of spiritual community at all. But there are many people who don't even consider church, even though they do have a powerful hunger for spirituality, for God, and for community. And we have found a way of living together and of being together that would be a great benefit to them, but they don't know we're here. Now, I've said before that I believe there are some people in Raleigh that God has assigned to us, and we haven't found them yet. Some people that we could be helping experience spiritual community, but we are not. And if we don't get to them, if we don't integrate them into our lives and into the lives of a community, they won't experience that at all, and they'll go through their lives isolated from a spiritual community. And because of this, I go to bed at night dissatisfied, happy, but dissatisfied. Dissatisfied that, we haven't, dissatisfied that we haven't yet engaged the people God has assigned us. Now we have enough space and we have enough people resource to be about twice our size. If we developed the 9 o'clock hour to be the size of the 11 o'clock hour with the square footage that we have, the number of chairs that we have, the number of teachers that we have, the number of spiritual friends, the number of teen mentors that we have, we could easily be twice our size. And that's two times as many people whose lives could be on this quest with us. And so in the year before us, this is the second thing that I'm going to ask some of you to be working on. So those are two things we're doing this year, what I expect us to be working on. Third, some practical things we can all do to help our community thrive. I always get a little nervous that I'm not on the right slide. (laughs) So every once in a while I have to check. That's why I turn around. First thing, we can help one another find friends. That sounds trivial, but let me tell you it is anything but trivial. Friendship has been at the bedrock, at the core of everything we have learned about the spiritual journey. Trust and affection is the gateway It's the opening door that leads to so many other powerful things. Knowing and being known is the opening of the door that moves us into the spiritually transforming journey. If we have learned anything about what it means to be NRCC on this journey, it is that we must be in environments where we know and where we are known, where we trust and where we are trusted. And when that happens then we can begin to move from friendship into this ancient practice, this ancient environment called spiritual friendship. And spiritual friendship is transformative of the soul. The primary thing that we're doing is moving toward spiritual friendships at NRCC. And one of the things that, practical things that we can do is help one another get there. So you can keep an eye out we can keep an eye out for one another and make sure that nobody gets left out. 
We can make sure that we come to the breakfast. We, we put a lot of energy and effort into forming this breakfast in a way that it would be very simple to execute the administrative parts so that we could create the environment where people could come and do just that. So you could come to the breakfast, and while you do, you could watch for people. You could make that part of your Sunday morning routine that you would come and you would do the sometimes difficult thing of getting over the hurdle of finding a person you don't know and getting to the place that you know them and developing familiarity, asking their names, asking what they do during the week, probing them for questions. We lost Jim last week. One of the things that Jim did was ask a lot of questions. (laughs) You could ask questions. You could ask after people. If you don't see someone for a while... You could call them. If you see someone that you haven't seen for a while, you could ask how they've been. Even if you're new, you could do this. Now, I'm kind of sad about this, but I made some very dear people very uncomfortable with NRCC a while ago. Uncomfortable enough that they left, and I was sad to see them go. The way that I was reframing our understanding of following Jesus made them feel threatened. So I was sad to see them go, but I'm happy that we have opened the door to others who could not have accessed God in the traditional way of framing and talking about the spiritual journey. So, right now, we have about as many people, maybe even a few more people present as we did before the Exodus. But that means some of you, many of you, are relatively new. So, you new people... Let me just now say, you are now our people. (laughs) We paid a price to open the door for you, and now you are here, and you are ours. And so, this... So this vision that I'm talking about, these six values that I'm saying that we're working on, it's not like we're working on it and you new people get to come and watch. What I'm saying is those six values don't won't happen unless all of us begin to say, ah, oh, yes, that's what we value. That's what's important. So if you are now us, then this thing that we're doing together is to you as well. You are invited to become owners of NRCC. And together... Let's keep an eye out for one another. Let's get to know one another. Introduce people to people. Make connections that can eventually become spiritual connections. You see me put it up on the wall during the announcements all the time. Everybody eats with somebody once a month. Now, you can do that. You could take it seriously and you could put it on your calendar and you could have a little reminder that comes up so you could have someone over to your house for lunch or you could invite someone out for coffee or you could get a burger after church, or you could swing by Taco Bell with the teenagers and just sit with them, let the teenagers be over there while you sit with them. (laughs) But for us to be really good at opening doors for people to connect, we need some things that people can be part of. Now, people don't become friends by just what happens on a Sunday morning. They need a thing to be part of where that friendship forming can happen naturally. And we have a shortage of things right now. What the thing is, is almost not as important as the fact that there is a thing for someone to participate in. 
Our Wednesday meditation, this has been a very good thing and a place for people to connect, but it's not for everyone. Well, that's not true. (laughs) It is for everyone. Have I mentioned the spiritual benefits to you if you would meditate? (laughs) However, some people just don't realize yet that this is for them. (laughs) But perhaps you could have a book club in your home with five or six people, and you could study a book together. Or we're starting, I know Trish started with some of the moms, uh, a mom's group for uh, people with young children, women with young children. You could help that succeed. I've I'm, I'm talked to several men uh, independently about starting a men's group, and either some kind of a study group or a getting-to-know-each-other group or a being-spiritual-friends group that's combined with a poker group and a playing, watching football groups. I don't, as you can see, it's not well-formed yet. <laughs> you know, we're just kind of thinking about some elements right now. And I bet you have some ideas about a thing that you could create that would help people connect and become spiritual friends. And in a moment, I'm going to give you a chance to write that down on your form. So what we're looking toward doing is developing friendships, developing trust, and developing affection for one another. We live in a very highly technological society. And what that does is it begins to remove all of the structures that used to be naturally in place for people to find these places to connect. The... The workplace stops being a social place because we have technology that helps us. The, the neighborhood becomes a different kind of place. The, the, almost every arena of life has moved into a lack of touch, and so we need to rebuild that into our lives intentionally. And that's what I'm talking about NRCC being, and I can't make that happen from the front. That is something that we, the tribe, embrace as a value and say this is what we will work toward. We will put energy into this, and we will put effort into this. We will make this value into practice. So this is something we can all do. Number one on your handout, give you 30 seconds, go through it. Number one, write down checkbox, I can do this, I can do that. This is what I'll do. You, got, you can count on me, Doug. Breakfast starts at 10 o'clock, by the way. No, that just means you'll. That just means you'll show up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, twice a year you get assigned to to serve the breakfast, but that's twice a year. The other Sundays you show up, and you show up and you eat. And you show up and you sit with someone, and you show up and you develop a conversation, you show up for the breakfast. And by the way, the breakfast is at 10 o'clock. At 10 o'clock, you show up. <laughs> All right, let's move on to letter B. A second thing that we can all do to strengthen our community and help it thrive is to contribute our abilities. I am not good at building organizations, but my unbuilding of organizations is further exacerbated by the fact that I despise organizations. (laughs) You can kind of tell how we got to the place we are. (laughs) And I despise organizations, I have despised organizations in the past because they treat people like cogs in a system that crushes them in service of the goal of the system. And I've been part of many of those organizations, and I have been a cog in that. 
So consequently, I was in many ways reacting against all organization, recognizing, not recognizing that we would need some. We don't want NRCC to become a system, a machine that's just going toward an objective. But we do want to think tribally. And what we do when we think tribally is we imagine the image of killing the buffalo. Somebody gets on the horse and go shoots or arrows or stabs the buffalo, however you kill a buffalo. Somebody skins the buffalo. Somebody dries the skin. Somebody dries the meat. Somebody takes the bone and turns it into a spear. Somebody does everything. Everybody in the tribe participates in some way, and then together we draw sustenance from the buffalo, and we draw sustenance from being knit together while we worked for our well-being. And there is something very appealing about that and something very powerful about being part of that. And that is something that we yearn for. That is part of our connectedness. And so one of the things when it comes to contributing your abilities is really contributing in a context with someone else to work toward an environment that is good for all of us, something that helps our souls prosper and thrive creating an environment in which that is the case. We've worked really hard to make all the jobs at NRCC small because one of the things that has plagued the church in the past is that just a few people volunteer, and those people get the enormity of the job dumped on them, and they get burned out. And many of you are quite devout, and many of you are quite committed, and many of you have been part of that having been dumped on process, and you're a little shy and you're a little bit reticent to the whole get involved thing. And I understand that, and I have been in that environment. So we worked really hard to make all the jobs at our church very, very small because burnout is a bad use of people resources. But for us to be an effective tribe, many, many of us must take up some small way of contributing to help us be optimally healthy, to help us be able to thrive. So... You've all been assigned to serve breakfast a couple of times a year, and that's going very well. Many of you have been signed, assigned a rotation with the children, and that's been going very, very well. Um, now, I've got a checkbox there, and I'm just going to read as we go through it, and let's see if you've got a gift and a talent and an interest that uh, you be willing to contribute, and if so, and the church, the community begins to realize, hey, we need that, then we will give you a call sometime and say, would you be interested now? Is this a good time? So, check this off if this applies to you as we go through it. Checking in on other people's well-being. Organizing other people's efforts. You've heard Doug's not going to be very good at that. That would mean figuring out and telling people what needs to be done, like a community service project, something like that. Public speaking, spiritual content, and public speaking, public service announcements. Mentoring teenagers, we especially need a couple of women. We have a bunch of men back there and Haven. Fifth and sixth grade rotation with art, that would be teaching, taking a teaching rotation with art one to two times a month. Uh, coordinating our preschool and nursery volunteers uh, and being a preschool nursery volunteer yourself. Musical gifts, that would mean singing, and if you play an instrument, fill it in there. Audio, learning to run the sound system. Creative computer skills, that would be like layout and design, PowerPoint kinds of things. And then I couldn't think of another word, I just called it regular computer skills, like web update, database, email distribution list, that kind of thing. Advertising, 
letting the people in Raleigh know that we're here, and then handy guys fixing stuff around the church. So check one of those boxes, or several of those boxes. Okay, finally, what we can do together is to help our community thrive as we can all help pay the bills. Every month we spend money to make community happen. We give to people who are in need in our community and others. We buy my time in order to be freed up to work on community building. We pay for our phones and we pay for our web expenses. We maintain the facility. We pay liability insurance. We pay the mortgage. We buy spiritual books. We buy curriculum for the kids. Uh, We buy supplies. We get food for the breakfasts. We buy lots of food for community making. We make copies. We pay for printing. We pay for computers. We buy office stuff. We get insurance. And then after we get insurance, we get some more insurance. And then after that, we buy more insurance. We buy lots of kinds of insurance. We pay electricity. We pay for gas, about $7,000 a year for our utilities. And we would like to pay for the vision of the teams that are forming and to move forward and be able to fund them with budgets. But we haven't been doing that lately just because we've been without. But here's our situation. Uh, We have more people than we had last year. We have more vision than we had last year. We have more passion, more clarity, more understanding of where we're going than we did last year. But we have about 30% less money each month than we had last year. When the economy turned last November, we cut our expenses drastically. We laid off Aaliyah and are now uh, caring for our children and our um, teenagers as a community. Art and Denise went through each budget category and renegotiated all the expenses that could be renegotiated. We refinanced our loan, and in truth, it was a good experience for us, and we became much more watchful of our resources. And had our income only gone down some, we'd be in fine shape right now, but our income went down a lot. And two reasons for that. First, the economy has made our nation afraid, has made us afraid. Our community has not had a real big hit in unemployment. We've had some people unemployed, but mostly we've become afraid and we've become cautious. The second reason behind it is that our view of God is shifting. People whose view of God is angry tend to give out of fear, and they give consistently. (laughs) People whose view of God is that they can get on his good side by giving, and then he'll bless them. These people tend to give, and they tend to give consistently. And these two things are powerful motivators, and I've been steadily dismantling your view of God, that you can curry his favor by doing good stuff, and that you should be afraid of him. And so, many motivations have gone away, and the people who maintained those motivations in a more traditional view of God and of the church have gone away. (laughs) And these people gave religiously their 10%. (laughs) So there's two reasons why. One is the economy. One is this shift that I'm leading our church through. Now, I will tell you that I believe in the ancient practice of giving 10% of one's income. And to my knowledge, I might have missed, but I can't ever remember consciously missing. I've tithed on every dollar that I've made since I was 16 years old. And I believe in it, and I teach it to you as an ancient practice. Because I believe that it challenges our fear, 
And I believe that it challenges our selfishness, and I believe that it changes us. I don't look at it as money. I look at it as a spiritual discipline. I know that it teaches us a rudimentary and base and elemental form of discipline because nobody likes to give money. But when we do this thing that we don't like to do, it opens us to a form that, of, of life that, transform is, that transforms us. And it has a whole lot more to do with anything besides monies. It's not about money at all. People who do not tithe often face a discipline deficit in their souls that tends to create messes in other areas, and I see it all the time. And so I do stand before you at least once a year, and I talk to you about the spiritual principle of the tithe. I believe it to be a matter of hearing and heeding ancient wisdom. And when we go against ancient wisdom, we do so at our own risk. But I have to tell you, that tithing doesn't make God like you any better than God likes you. And that while there is the general principle that generosity tends to open our hearts to be able to receive the blessings of the world around us, it is not a genie bottle that is going to obligate God to give you stuff. It doesn't curry God's favor, and it doesn't curry God's blessing. So why in the world would you give? To why in the world would you embrace this ancient discipline if all the reasons behind why you were taught you should do it have all gone away? Well, the primary reason that I believe in the tithe now at this point in my life is because I believe in spiritual community. Since ancient times, the tithe has paid to make spiritual community. Since ancient times, the tithe has always paid for some people to work on community making so that the rest of us could experience it and live in it. The tithe has always paid for food, for people to eat when they gather together and make community. It has always paid for places, for people to gather together and make community. This has been going on for thousands of years. It is an ancient wisdom. But for all the wonderful things that I talk to you about our community and all the wonderful things that I believe about our community, we are facing the resource shortage that comes when people do not embrace this ancient wisdom. Here's what has happened since January. Art took me through this chart recently, and you can see that our income has wildly fluctuated from a low of $9,000 to a high of 28000 I have no idea what happened in May. But... Would that it would happen again. <laughs> but I want you to notice that in January, we developed a deficit. We developed a deficit in one month of $10,000. That has never happened to us before. We have never seen such a thing happen in the history of NRCC. Now, <clears throat> since the efforts to stabilize our expenses and to lower things, we have steadied out in our expenses at around fifteen dollars to $16,000. But overall, we have accumulated $24,000 in debt since January. Now, 12000 of that we knew we were going to accumulate because Aaliyah was here, and we knew in November we couldn't afford Aaliyah. But we kept Aaliyah on all the way through until April 1st because we wanted to give her an opportunity to find a job in a downturned economy. And it was difficult for us to do financially, but it was the right thing for us to do financially. But that meant that we would accumulate $12,000 in debt. We knew about that. And then in January, we didn't know we were going to accumulate an additional $10,000 in debt in one month. So between those two hits plus a little bit each month, 
we are now $24,000 in debt. And I was just hearing uh, as we're doing the books for this month that we might have to put some on the line of credit again even this month. So we uh, are in debt. Debt is not good. It isn't a disastrous amount of debt. I hate debt. I hate owing money because that means we're just paying for money. And paying for money seems like a waste. It's less than two months of income for us, but debt is a limit on people, and debt is a limit on communities as well. Now, I'm not concerned that we're going to fold tomorrow, but I want us all to know the direction the trend is going. This is a difficult time in our nation's history, and this is a difficult time in our church's history. And communities thrive in difficult times when we all work together, and we all will need to take our place to help pay the bills for our community. Now, if the trend continues, we are going to face some hard choices. Art and the finance team have looked through our expenses, and they've uh, willered before that and said, you know, we've really come to a place where we recognize that we can't cut any more from the expense side without there being some pretty profound um, uh, effects on the community. We're going to have to raise the income side, they said. We're either going to not pay part of my salary, I'm, I've already been holding paychecks, or we're going to have to go to part-time, or we're going to have to, I'm going to find another job, or we're going to lose the building. In any one of these cases, if this trend continues, there's going to be a loss of momentum for our community. So if the trend continues, our financial situation will have some pretty drastic uh, effects. It takes about $250 a month from each household in order for us to pay the bills right now, given where we are in terms of the number of households and the expenses. Now, many of us do practice the tithe and consequently contribute a great deal more than that, which means that there's a little bit of buffer for some to give less. But right now, the number of people who are not giving or who are giving irregularly uh, has put us on a path that is soon going to change us one way or another. Spiritual community belongs to the people. And often people think of institutions like NRCC just that way, as an institution. But I want to tell you, I don't think of NRCC as a distant or as an autonomous institution. It's the context in which our souls grow. It is in this place that we pay for in this place that your souls grow, that Jim's soul grows, that Pat. Patrick's soul grows, that each one of our souls grow in this context of being in this place. When we give to NRCC, we buy a building for us to grow in. We buy curriculum to help one another's kids grow. We buy my time to work on the community's health. We buy insurance and electricity and phones and food. And when we buy this stuff, we make a place to pursue God together. So I would like to invite you to join me in giving to NRCC. I would like to invite you to the discipline of generosity, to challenge any fear or any greed that would infect your soul, and for all of us to join together and foster the health and the well-being of NRCC. I believe this community is worth investing in. I think you do too. In truth, I've never sold NRCC very hard. I've nearly never had to because, like me, most people passionately believe in this place. But what I know about human nature is this. We forget. And we drift. And we drift away from our commitments to things that matter to us. And that's normal. 
Now, I hate taking time to talk about money because every time we spend talking about money is some time we don't spend about talking about something else. And there's a lot of something else's that I'd like to talk about. So, consequently, I haven't talked much about this tendency for us to drift away from the things that matter to us. The reason I've had the luxury of not having to talk about that is we've had the buffer to be able to absorb the drift, but we don't have the buffer now. People talk to me all the time and say, oh, Doug, you know, I missed a week, I missed a month, and then I got out of my mind. I believe in this community. I'm committed to help pay the bills, but there's many a slip between the lip and the cup. I'm out of town one week that I would normally give, and then I'm, it's out of my mind. This is especially true during the summer months. So today, I wanted to clearly inform you where we stand, and today I want to ask us all to do something practical to help. If you feel an ownership stake in NRCC, if you believe in what we're doing and why we're here, if you want to take a part in paying the bills, I'm going to ask us to act together on that decision in a way that's going to help stabilize our monthly income. I want to ask us to make our decision in a way that's made in advance and doesn't depend on the whims of what will be happening in your life next August. I want us to give in a way that will make our giving consistent in a way that will put our community on a solid financial footing. I'm asking us to make it the norm at NRCC that we give by direct deposit. Many churches and nonprofits are beginning to do this now. We were surprised when we went to our bank to ask about this, that they were prepared for us. It's like they went to the file and said, oh yeah, you're a church and you want to do this? We're prepared for that. It's a thing. I didn't know that. So I had Denise run a test with our own giving last month and several other uh, families in the church, and I wanted to work out the bugs before I asked, asked you to try it. And it works securely, and it works seamlessly, and it works quite easily. All you do is fill out a form, you attach a voided check, you designate the amount, and you fill in the date. And then you will automatically contribute to the community. And it works like a charm when you're here, and when you're not. <laughs> and I'm going to nudge us to make this the norm for those of us who feel that we have an ownership stake at NRCC. We'll still collect the offering each week for those who don't want to give this way, but together we can steady out the church's income. We can't afford summertime dips, and we can't afford dips like we had in January anymore. Now, if we do this together, we can solve our problem. If you're ready today. Denise is going to be out in the uh, lobby with the forms, and, and you can get one today, and you can fill it out. If, so Art will be out there doing that. Um, but if you do fill it out today, Denise has got a black binder. Make sure the form gets into her black binder. If you're not ready today, you can check the box on your, uh, right, on your handout right there, and Denise will email you a form or a link to the website where you'll be able to download the form. You can fill it out at home and turn it in over the next several weeks. So now I want to give you a couple of minutes, well, not even a couple of minutes, give you about 30 seconds to respond to number three there. Go ahead and respond to that, and then I want to have some concluding remarks. Look at this, man. We are moving. Yes. Uh-huh. Yes.
No, it comes out either on the 10th or the 25th. You're going to decide. When you get the form, it'll have things for you to check when you want it to come out. Yeah, it can be once a month or it can be twice a month, whatever you prefer. It could be the 10th and the 25th or it could be the 10th or the 25th, whichever you want. Okay, as you finish, I want to say just a few remarks in closing. Many of you have heard the story of Hezekiah and Sennacherib, but I want to rehearse it for us quickly together. Hezekiah came to lead Israel at a time when their religion had become ill, had become sick, had become unhealthy. And he captured the heart of the nation with a vision of restoring the ancient practices in a way that would lead them to light and to life. And he began to lead them in such a way that it began to turn things around. And just when things were getting on track, just when things were beginning to move well, the Assyrians came rumbling through on their way to dominate the region. When God gave the land to Abraham, he gave him a land that was smack in the middle of any superpower's desire to get anywhere else to dominate anyone else. So there they were at the crossroads of anyone going anywhere to dominate anybody. (laughs) And so here come the Assyrians in their great quest to dominate the region, and they come up and they begin to lay siege to Jerusalem. And as they stood at the gates of Jerusalem, they begin to broadcast the awful things that they had done to other city-states on their campaign. And these were truly awful things. Starving people until they were eating the bodies of their dead children. Awful, awful things. And so in the face of this crisis, Hezekiah tried a couple things. He tried to work it out with some diplomacy, with some tribute, with things like that, but that didn't work. And after those efforts went bad, he went to God with a lament, and he said this. God, this is bad, he said. It's like we were about to give birth to a child, only now, right at the point when we're going to bring forth the birth, we don't have the strength to deliver the baby. Now, when Hezekiah hit that place of lament, he did something wise. He wrote out a formal prayer for a people facing a disaster, and together they prayed that prayer. Now, I was struck when I was reflecting on this story how history tends to go through lots and lots of iterations of the same kinds of things. We live in a time when the history of our own spirituality has grown very ill and has grown very sick. We've rediscovered some things that are awakening us to life and to light and to truth, and we are beginning to get back on track and finding some things inside of us and some things in the way that our God works with us. And right in the middle of this momentum, an economic force comes rolling in to disrupt us in the form of an economic bust. And for us, it's like we were giving birth, but now we can't bring forth the baby. Now, the trend is not good. We could soon be in a very tough spot. But I've been in so many tough spots over the years that in truth... I've seen God's provision in times of toughness so many times that this economic downturn trouble seems like no trouble to me. I hardly call trouble trouble anymore. I have this deep conviction that we're going to come through this, and I have a deep belief that we're really going to be fine. We're going to learn some things about being community together. I believe that. 
I believe we're going to learn some things about the disciplined generosity that's going to be good for us. I believe we're going to make some strides to move forward, and I believe we're going to sail through this well. However, it would be disingenuous if I didn't acknowledge the negative trend that we're in. And it would be contrary to the value of community if I didn't let you know so that we could address things together. So today, I've given us some practical steps of things that we can do to help our community thrive. But I also want to say that this community is ultimately a spiritual community, that our issue is spiritual in nature, and that our quest is a quest to find the heart of God and to find together the purposes of God. And a prayer for a way of doing that, to be available to the purposes of the divine, is what I want us to do together right now. So I've written out a formal prayer like Hezekiah did. And I actually modeled it on Hezekiah's prayer. And I'm going to lead us in that prayer. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask you to lift your heads and read the prayer as I lead us in it. And when I finish, I would like us to signal our togetherness. Traditionally, the word amen has been how we show our agreement. And so together, we will say, so be it, Lord. That's what the word amen means. By saying that word, we will say amen. So, if you would... Put down any papers you've got. If you would, stand up straight together. Take a couple of breaths. And together, let's pray this prayer before our God. O God, maker of heaven and earth. O God, above all forces of greed selfishness and foolishness that sent our nation's economy into this difficult time. It is true that nonprofits across the nation are stymied in their efforts, stymied in their ability to fulfill their missions. It is true that our nation is facing high unemployment. It is true that we fear for our security. And it is true that our own NRCC community has been accumulating a deficit this year. But God... We together ask to be delivered from fear and from want. We desire to keep our spiritual community intact and to continue the birthing process of a restored way of following Jesus. So open our hearts, free us from fear, lead us into generosity, and give us this day our daily bread. And together we say, Amen. You can be seated. Now, if you would, please prepare your tithes and offerings for today. And